This is the Untitled Josh Cast. My name is Isabella Stade, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and co-not Josh, Lucy Benetti, and also Josh Gershman. Hello. Hi. Today, we're going to be metaphorically battling it out to see whose favorite childhood movies are Rotten Tomatoes-backed wins and whose are simply rotten. Um, I've been long critiqued in this group about my taste for pop culture, both because it's limited and also doesn't exactly fall into the category of great movies most of the time. However, I've come prepared with my favorites, and I think I have at least a good chance of holding my own in the animated category. I've asked Lucy and Gersh to both bring favorite animated and non-animated films that we've loved as children and teenagers, and I'm eager to hear your guys' picks I imagine it's a lot harder for you two to pick things because you've watched approximately a thousand times more movies than I have. So it was about a 20 minute process for me. How long was your process of picking movies, guys? Um, let's see. I'd say I thought about my movies for like over a half hour of just putting together a list. I started with a list <laughs> on notes on my phone yeah. and then I moved over to my computer and I tried to separate them by category, which still didn't work. Um, and then eventually I just started looking up Rotten Tomatoes scores and then moving them around as I felt was appropriate. Picking um, and choosing for the best score I hear. Yeah. So, well, but like, I didn't even go into it thinking of like the best score. I went into it thinking of which ones that I actually like watched the most and yeah and that was basically it and a lot of them did not have great scores but I I've said this for years and like a lot of people have opinions on certain movies that they're like this is a really shitty movie but I end up really liking them that's always kind of been my thing so um yeah it took a while um I'd probably say like at least an hour and a half at a minimum I was muted. So for me, there are movies that I knew were going to be on this list right away. Um, There are even ones that I've certainly talked about on the podcast before, uh, or at least just in conversation. They just come up all the time. So there are ones that I knew were going to come up. um, But what I then did and Lucy and I were having a little pregame session about this is I then went and like looked at the movies from the 80s, like specifically like what were the kids slash family slash popular movies from the mid to late 80s to early 90s, because I, I, did knew, I knew there were going to be things that I forgot. And there were 100 percent things that I forgot <laughs> that was like, oh, when I was a kid, this is I watched this all the time. Now, some of these things on this list that I have will not surprise you. And I bet you could probably name many of them. Um, but for me, it was like I scrolled through this list. There was like 200 movies that I looked through and I was like, one, I have seen all of them because like when this this was something that for me growing up, there was a lot of quality time spent in front of the television. Like the television was a great babysitter in the, for me growing up, um, not for lack of other activities, of course, but it was just, that was just one of those things. And so out of this list, that was like the 200 most popular movies in the eighties and nineties. I'm probably, I've seen all of them. Um, now not certainly not by no means that all of them make the list, It were the ones that stood out to me, but also the ones that I specifically remember from childhood. So like, for instance, one of mine, and this might 
this might come up later. One of uh, one that I came across was Ghostbusters, which I love. But for me as a kid was not like a quintessential part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, OK, I've seen it. I love it. But it didn't make my list because it wasn't like a like a cornerstone yeah. of like me sitting in front of the TV for hours. I did the totally. same thing. I had that same process where I looked at some of them and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this movie so much. And then I found ones that I was like, well, you know what? I feel like I watch that every single weekend for like a couple years straight. So that probably deserves a place on the list where the other one that was like actually a quality movie doesn't. Um, if we want to jump right into it. I thought it'd be fun to start with the animated series and maybe go one by one in our picks, just like one each. Um, when I was looking at animated series, I think those came way easier for me than the non-animated. Um, the first one that I thought of, we all know I love and the mode. So Incredibles, like I couldn't leave that off my list. I was excited to see that the Rotten Tomatoes was like 97%. But I also feel like it's one of those classics that like almost everybody likes. I've never heard anybody disliking it. But also when Incredibles 2 came out, it was like 10 plus years in the making or something like that so i just feel like it's like one of those classics that clearly it was good all around for sure yeah um so i i'll go i'll go next yeah sure Lizzie, um sorry. i've talked about this i actually talked about this i don't think we were streaming it might have been when we were just playing um the little mermaid is my she's Ariel is my favorite princess. I watched that movie so many times growing up. Although the story that my mom likes to tell is that she would put me in front of the TV and play the little mermaid and I would fall asleep to it when I was a kid. So like that doesn't really indicate that it was my favorite movie, but it, it was one. Like I watched it so frequently. Um, I love Jodi Benson. I am very excited mm-hmm. because I bought a poster signed by her that should be here for the next couple of days. I finally got a shipping confirmation. I'm so excited. Um, that one had a 93%. For tomato meter which uh was also made me feel really great but i think it also <laughs> might be one of the highest ones on my list because not many others are above a 90 yeah that was a good one i always like that it definitely i can credit that little mermaid to the reason i dyed my hair red in seventh grade so like i can also attest that it had an influence on my life just <laughs> not like putting me to sleep but you know gersh what was your first animated pick um so there is definitely a, a, an animated section to my list, of course. You know, the, the golden age of Disney movies for me is in this like late 80s to early 90s, even to like late 90s period. Um, going in chronological order as opposed to in, in not in, in preference order is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which like is half animated, half live action. But for me was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen as a kid and remains one of the coolest movies ever. It exists that it's like this is something we've definitely talked about before, but there is no way a movie like that ever gets made anymore, let alone today. Like a movie like that is never happening ever again, where you have characters from like 14 different conglomerates that own them and the rights and distribution and all this other nonsense that they had to do. Disney like it is it is a large miracle that Disney made this movie happen at all Um they there was like things about screen time down to the second down to like the percentage of who got more screen time than someone else, um, how much they were guaranteeing for other things. So all of that wraps up into this amazing movie, which for me was just the coolest thing. Like all I wanted to do was live in a world where cartoons were real. And just to, like to see this was just bananas. Now, I was a little too young to like understand what was going on with Jessica Rabbit, but 
like growing up with Bugs Bunny and then girl, like girl Bugs Bunny. Like I understood what was happening in the like in the grand scheme of things. Um, But it was just it was also like this is also very, uh, uh, very much a point of the movie is that they made the they made the cartoon characters much more humanized than you see cartoon characters in in cartoons where they like they have love interests and they're acting like I don't quote unquote they're acting like real people like in the way that Roger talks to Jessica the way that um Bob Hoskins interacts with the characters and vice versa it was a very it was a much more like humanized take on cartoons which like I don't know I probably I'm sure I didn't appreciate when I was seven years old when this movie came out but just to see cartoons and humans in the same world was just amazing um, I just love that. I haven't watched it in a long time. I need to watch it. Also, you mentioned female uh, Bugs Bunny. That's Lola. Lola. I, I knew she had a name. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bugs and Lola Bunny. Forgive me. So cute. Yeah, it, this actually ties really well with my next pick when you're just describing like a more human side of like the cartoon character. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox was one of my favorite like animated things ever. And I feel like that really like is exemplified in that because they have such like really cool i don't know did you guys love that movie because i thought it was fantastic i don't think i've ever seen it yeah same that's just kind of missed that one God, it's wes anderson guys i have a lot of shit movie references this is like a solid one okay i'll summarize essentially it's like like wes anderson colors like beautiful like oranges and just like aesthetically so pleasing but like it follows this fox family that like sort of looks real but sort of doesn't it kind of looks like somebody it's just like art to me um but the characters are super funny and witty and i don't know i feel like my mom and i watched it like five times like when it came out um but it's always been one of my favorites and i always go back to it so i feel like i'm gonna require you guys to watch it with me because i'd be happy to revisit it it was one where when i was making this list I like had my first initial thoughts and then I went on Disney plus to sort of like check what I was missing, just like you were saying. And this was in the animated section. I was like, Oh, how did I forget it? So now I need to make sure you guys watch it too. <laughs> the only Wes Anderson movie I have seen is Rushmore. I know I am missing like a whole cat. No, that's not true. I've seen Royal Tannenbaum's too, but I don't like that yeah. movie. I, just don't. I don't think I finished it. I think I really appreciate Wes Anderson. Like stills, like the, like stills of his movies i yeah. think that his like artistic eye is really beautiful i don't think i've i mean i'm clearly not super invested in movies in general but i yeah i, I think fantastic mr fox was a good crossover of like childlike animation mm-hmm. and his serious kind of fair approach. lucy what was your next pick well speaking of art i will this movie is hands down one of my favorites and i've talked about it before as well which is anastasia um, I went back and decided to look at the IMDb to see all of the actors who were in this. And I mean, I knew the main characters, like I knew Meg Ryan, John Cusack, Kelsey Grammer. But then also the fact that Rasputin is Christopher Lloyd, Angela Lansbury's in it, obviously. That. Yes. Uh, Bernadette Peters is in it, which oh like God. never clicked oh. to me. Although it makes like listening to it, it obviously is her, but I don't think I ever actually realized it. Also learned today that uh, Kirsten Dunst played young Anastasia as well. Definitely didn't Or voiced that. her. So, so like that was... a whole cast that we all didn't really know was in it. It was wild. Old. Yeah. It's, it is just... It's such a great movie. I used to watch all the time. I actually have um, from like... I think it was probably McDonald's or something when the movie came out. 
Um, I have like the dog as like a little little figurine because I I just freaking loved this movie. I was actually listening to the soundtrack before uh, we did this because the music in it is just so fantastic, and it is, yeah, it's it's hands down one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah, that one's oh, that's definitely up there for me. I, I was sad that I never got to see that on Broadway. Oh my um, god, Is and I were talking about this right before you got on, and I cried every single time I saw and I have no shame in, in sharing this I cried every single time I saw the performance of one of the songs from the play either um from like the Thanksgiving Day Parade or just like on YouTube but I never got to see it in person I was so upset but mm. uh Chrissy yeah, Altamore is fantastic bad telling Lucy I had seen it because it was one of those <laughs> shows where like when I was going to school in New York City that because the school kind of like wanted you to do stuff would sometimes give you free tickets to things. And that was one where I like sort of was like staked out trying to get the free tickets. And it was a really phenomenal show. And we were talking about how the woman that was Anastasia is the one she there's never been a different one. She's been like in the cast the entire. Christy is fantastic. And I could not imagine them giving that role to literally anyone else. Yeah. And I... I just I would like for her to at some point do it again so I can experience it again, again, but like in person for the first time, you know? Yeah, totally. Sorry, please continue. No, no, not at all. There is there is a there is something magical that happens when somebody originates a role on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Like it is this ineffable thing that you cannot imagine it any other way. Um, And like, I don't. It's something different than like a movie or a TV actor, um, because lots of times roles get recast or roles exist across multiple people or whatever. But with Broadway, it's more than just their acting. It's also their singing and it's also their whole persona wrapped up into this thing. Um, Oh, man, this isn't the Broadway episode, though. This is the movie episode. (laughs) Uh, My next movie, I'm going to keep going in chronological order, and that would be probably my favorite Disney movie of all time. And that is Aladdin. Um, I cannot even count the number of times I have seen this movie. Also very good on Broadway. Speaking of Broadway. Uh, But, you know, way back in the nineties, I don't know when they stopped doing this. I'm sure at some point, if, if at all, but Disney for their VHS tapes had this big bubble bubble case VHS thing. And, I don't know what marketing genius came up with this idea because one, they just use this giant piece of plastic, but two, it also allowed them, it had much more real estate on it to put stuff than a normal VHS sleeve. So like your normal VHS sleeve has the cover and the back and it has the sides, the spines, if you will, where you would put the title, but very little else on the giant Disney bubble pack. You have a big, giant, full-color thing on the back and a big, giant, full-color thing on the front. It was just, they were like, we need to get more Disney on this Disney package out of the Disney factory. And the answer was more plastic. Just amazing. Now, the downside of all this is it took up way more space than your standard VHS sleeve. And so in my childhood home growing up, there would just be a row of these giant (laughs) VHS bubble packs um, sitting trying to trying to like visualize my house from when I was seven years old. Uh, just this row of VHS bubble bubble pack sleeves. Um, but the most frequent, um, the most frequent played of these movies was Aladdin. I just loved it so much. Um, you know, I held no personal connection 
to growing up a street kid. Uh, but for some reason that just spoke very much to, that just spoke to me so intently. Um, and I just love the flying carpet and of course, Robin Williams. I mean, like for me, this came out when I was 11. I'm trying to remember what I would have seen Robin Williams in other than this. Like, I think I, I knew of Mork and Mindy. That was a thing that was happening back then. But I'm trying to think of like Mrs. Doubtfire was still later. Was Patch Adams before that? Not sure. After. But like, I, you know, you know, you hear these stories of like comedians growing up that like they, they knew they were going to be a comedian when they can make their family laugh and stuff like that. I definitely felt that too. Not that I was ever going to be a comedian, but like I recognized at 11 years old, the comedic genius that was Robin Williams in this movie. And I just needed to see it as many times as possible. That's that cute. is totally fair. I'm also to oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask what you're, if you watch the like live action or like whatever that you called, like the latest Aladdin that came out. Like, I've seen it. It's okay. I like Will Smith a lot. Um, yeah. I think he's very funny and he's like, I think much funnier now as old Will Smith than young Will Smith. Um, and it's fine. Uh, did it, I don't think it needed to happen. Like I, and I think people would probably say that about the other live action movies. Uh, although I, I haven't seen the Lion King, so I, I couldn't, I, I'm not judging that one on Aladdin though. I don't think it needed to happen. Like we didn't need that. I think there was the immediate pushback of you're replacing Robin Williams with Will Smith, which I get. That's a totally fair criticism. If you watch the movie, that's not really what's happening. Like clearly Will Smith, yeah. Will Smith is like self-aware enough to know and do his own take on the genie. And I think he did a fine genie. I just don't think the movie needed to happen. Yeah. It's one of those things that with a lot of the live, some of the live action movies have been showing different stories or different angles of the stories that people don't know about yet. Like Mulan was meant to have a different take than the original Mulan. And, um, Maleficent is a different angle of like the Sleeping Beauty realm that people aren't familiar with yet. And that was not the case with Aladdin. Um, I agree. I thought it was kind of fine. Um, but I'm, I swear I'm not going to add notes to every single thing that you say, Gersh, because you're the last one in these. However, with your bubble tapes, you are 100% correct because I, I was looking at mine a little while ago because I have them upstairs. Um, they made those until they stopped producing VHS tapes like altogether. And I know this because they released new merchandise over like the last couple of years where they've been trying to like bring it back into like a retro, like they've been calling them retro or vintage, uh, more so retro though. And they released notebooks and bags and phone cases that look like those VHS. Oh my God. Cases. I don't think they made one for Aladdin, for Aladdin, but they definitely did for like the Lion King, Hercules and the Little Mermaid. And it's just wild how they're trying to bring it back in some aspect. I'd love for you guys to send me photos because I quickly Googled Disney bubble VHS and did not get what I thought I was going to get. So I want to see it. I don't think I ever saw that kind of thing, even though I live during the VHS era. <laughs> you could probably just look up VHS and it would probably still come up. I don't think anybody would refer to it as a bubble, but that's it, it was. Yeah, it that's was like immediate Google search. That super thick packet. Like you knew it was a oh, Disney. Is it just that it was kind of cushy? Kind of. It was very big compared okay. to everything else. Fair enough. I'll look at it later. Um, so my next pick is probably one of my favorite things ever that my parents showed me. That was a very small pool of things. 
but uh wallace and gromit i picked the curse of the were rabbit but like i loved all of them um and i could just watch them all the time i think they were also readily available at the library in my hometown um i just love them so much and i could i just think that the characters are so great and i love the like claymation or whatever you call it too so that's my pick i remember those very well growing up yeah um so the next one originally on my list was going to be thumbelina because i remember being obsessed with it when i was little however thumbelina is one of those movies where they made a shit ton of versions and I was trying to figure out which version I actually watched. So I went to my old bedroom and I found the VHS of it, but it still does not like it's, I'm still not fully remembering it as that one. Like, I think there's still a different one that I haven't found, but whatever. Thumbelina is not available on Rotten Tomatoes. So I have slightly skipped over it. I moved on to the next one, which is the Swan Princess, because I watched the Swan Princess so many times. The music in it is great. The entire concept of it is it's okay, but it, we're going to say that it's great. Um, they made, I remember them making up to three. Upon looking this up today, they have apparently continued making them until 2020, but with a different storyline and different characters, which is interesting to me. Um, but the original one is just so good. Um, and the the whole play on the Swan Princess and her growing up from what you would see as an ugly duckling into a swan and then being cursed into becoming a swan is just, it was really great. And I love everything about it. And what was the Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, it was a 50%. I realized I had forgotten to include mine, but uh, my Fantastic Mr. Fox was 93% and Wallace and Gromit was 95%. Yeah, no. Anastasia was an 86 and Swamp Princess was a 50, which I knew, but you know what? Disagree with both of them. All right. I feel like none of us, like, as a child, like, obviously none of us could, as a child, go to Rotten Tomatoes and be like, you know, Mom, this is just a shitty movie that you I mean, to show me. I will say I rewatched The Swan Princess at some point during quarantine, and it definitely doesn't hold up 100%. It felt like it was a little rushed in some parts because obviously it's an animated movie. You're trying to hold a child's attention for a while. So I think they could have added more to make it better, but I still don't. I think a 50% is still too low. My last animated movie uh, is Hercules, another Disney movie. It's like one in one A between Aladdin and Hercules. Um, Hercules came out in 1997, uh, and I've always... I've just always liked Greek mythology stuff. And a few years before this is when the Kevin Sorbo Hercules series was out, followed by Xena. I loved those two shows. I would watch them religiously. Uh, and I was just always really interested in Greek mythology. And so this is another this is another thing of uh, like gods existing in the real world, these Greek gods like and that's the that's in the pantheon of these gods. Right. They exist humans with the humans alongside them or by humans exist with the gods alongside them. Uh, and it was just a great it's just a great movie. It also like like most Disney movies has an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the cast. Um, James Woods, for all of his late stage capitalism nonsense, is perfect as Hades. Hi, Chubbs. Uh, dangerous Chubb sighting on this podcast. The crap out of me. Um, just absolutely perfect as Hades. Um, the rest of the cast, just fantastic. Um Bobcat Goldthwait and Matt Frewer played like the two little demon gremlin guys. They're just hilarious. 
Uh, it's just, it's just great. It's just a great movie. Um, and it, it's one that I, uh, I will always wait for this to be in the next Disney, the next Disney Broadway show. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but, um, has great songs, uh, great characters. And I think it very, I think could easily be adapted onto the stage, but that's not my job. So I will just leave it at that. Just one of my favorites right up there. I haven't also, I haven't seen this in a long time, but I might have to watch it again. I mean, you manifested Trump being kicked off Twitter. So True. like, I feel like a Broadway show <laughs> is like even less extreme of a request. So <laughs> Where, right. Where is that? What's the bar? Like, what's the level of difficulty on that? Yeah, also, I mean, Broadway show is a lot lower than Trump getting kicked <laughs> off Twitter. I mean, I feel like they I could be wrong, but I could have sworn they said they were going to try and turn Hercules into one of the upcoming live actions. Here's a little, and if that's the case, you could totally make it into Broadway. Here's a little inside baseball for you. My brother used to work for Disney for the Disney theatrical company. He doesn't anymore. So anything I tell you is I don't think there's any like brother to brother NDA that I'm breaking by giving you this information. Um, I would say to him often that I would love <laughs> to see a Hercules on Broadway. And he would respond to me often with the world's worst poker face. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I don't know if this ever is going to happen in the future or if or if that's just my brother's regular poker face when I ask him about work stuff. But he's not connected to that world anymore. So I like I I hold no claim. I hold no nothing over this. If it does happen, I will not say that I made it happen. I will simply be there when it happens and enjoy it. Fair enough. Um, my last animated pick was one that I totally forgot about until I was like looking through my list to check, and it's Monsters Inc. And I think involved in that is also Monsters University because I think they're like both solid not like really a shitty sequel or anything i think it's really good and i just love monsters inc so much and boo and just like all of it mike wazowski i don't know i can't (laughs) i just love it so much what does it have on rotten tomatoes uh 96 percent i know there is my average on animation was 95 percent it goes (laughs) steeply downhill from there with my other I know there's some, I love both movies. I know there's some continuity issues between the two of them. Like in the first movie, they talk about how I think they meet when they're like young, but then Monster University is literally all about how they meet at college. Everybody's like, excuse me, you literally already messed up your storyline. But both are fantastic. Um, Technically, this one doesn't qualify as animated. However, there are animated aspects to it. So we're going to throw this one right in, which is Mary Poppins, which is just my mm-hmm. next one on my list. Um, I have been obsessed with Mary Poppins since I was little. I did not have, I had some channels on my TV, like up to channel like 11 or 12 or something like that. And then nothing else. So at night I would put on my Mary Poppins VHS and I would watch it every single night. My TV, once it hit the end of the VHS would stop, rewind it to the beginning and then turn off. And every single day, that is what I watched. And it would essentially turn off at the same exact time. And I would just rewatch the movie again. I do. I did watch it to the end. So for anyone listening, who's curious, did you fall asleep at the same part and then never finish it? No, I've seen the ending many times. Um, (laughs) Mary Poppins also has... All of our readers or listeners know that you stay up and exactly morning watching things. I don't. So Mary Poppins has look the same. (laughs) 
It has the highest rating on my list, which is a 98%. Nice. Um, it is fantastic. Yesterday, I finally watched Mary Poppins Returns, which I had been waiting to watch. It is also fantastic. I looked this up, and apparently it does not get... It. I think it had like an 80... An 80-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, the second one. Um, it was very mixed emotions from uh viewers but i personally loved it it actually made me cry because there are a lot of nods to the original and the original is just so important to me um yeah yeah mary poppins is just a classic and julie andrews is perfect i literally was trying to remember if i had seen mary poppins returns and then realized that the thing that i was imagining in my head was nanny mcphee which is just <laughs> not the same thing nope. is it the same like, caliber of thing mary <laughs> andrews Mary Poppins Returns was cute. And also, I didn't realize how many people were, were also in it. Like, the woman who plays Mackenzie from the newsroom is in it. Um, also, Meryl Streep is in it. Somehow I forgot that that was a thing. She has a song. It's great. Um, I highly recommend watching Mary Poppins Returns. I am, I plan to rewatch it again soon because it was really, really good. Mary Poppins is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of movies. Mm-hmm. She was she was confirmed 96 to three. I had to go look up the math, but like just this bonkers number that you never see anymore. Um, so I lied. I did have one more animated movie um, and originally I wasn't going to put it on this list, but I decided to keep it on the list because it allows me to complain about something. Um, and that movie is The Land Before Time. Technically it came out in 1988. So chronologically it would have been like the first or second movie on this list. Um so growing up, I watched this movie a whole lot, like just on repeat. Like I can vision, like there was um, my brother and I would go over to uh, a friend slash acquaintance's house when we were young to like just be like looked after for the afternoon. And I can remember this movie just being on repeat the whole time. Now, um, it's a lovely kids movie, but my issue with this in like I, it is no longer I can no longer enjoy my memories of this movie. And here's why. So the main character is a little dinosaur named Littlefoot. So you probably know that if you know anything about this movie. Um, I would come, I would become acquaintances with a person who was short and thus went by the nickname Littlefoot for their entire life. Now, I don't mean like, I don't, I, I don't mean that like they were less than 4'10 and like categorically short, but like a shorter person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Probably like probably like in the five one to five two range. OK, and so this was fine, except uh, if you like. There was a one strike in their out rule with this one particular thing that happened, uh, and thus I have struck them from my life entirely. So that's um, so that's where I stand with this like I just can't like I can't put I can't do it anymore like I'm sorry like you so like the the name Littlefoot is no longer endearing to me neither is this movie or it's 400 sequels I was about to ask are you referring to the first or which one I'm referring to the first from 1988 um yeah so that's that's the I bring it up here because because of its place in animated history but also um, how I won't ever think about it ever again. That's fair. 
Um, my next pick goes into my sort of like teen movie category. It turns out that almost all the things that I watched as a teen were like very early 2000s. So I was not a teenager at that point, but like watched it 10 years later. I think this is all because my sole exposure to pop culture, as I think I've mentioned, was that my mom took me to the library on Friday nights after school. And I got to pick out DVDs and the library had a max of 10 and I got 10 DVDs every single weekend. So I think all the DVDs that were available at the library were like 10 years old. So that's how this happened. Um, And my first favorite teen movie is the shittiest rating that I have. 26%. It's valid that it's 26%. Confessions of a Shopaholic. I have watched no less than 175 (laughs) times. And I would so happily watch it like if you guys tell me you want to watch it tonight done love it so much i don't know if it's just like the compulsive shopping or like the great outfits or like the whole learning experience and becoming like financially literate like i don't know what about it is great but i love it i stand behind that it's good that you stand behind it that is all that matters (laughs) in this situation I have seen that movie and I unfortunately agree with that rating. Um, Like it's one of those ones where, you know, it isn't going to be like Oscar nominated, but like, I do feel like there's have many of these that fall into the category of like rom-com adjacent or rom-com that just like weren't made to be fantastic movies or provided so much entertainment. True. I just feel my personal opinion. Okay. If we're going to go with a confessions of a anything movie, confessions of a teenage drama queen would end up beating that one. That's how I remembered confessions of a shopaholic is <laughs> that came up in my list when I was checking and I was like, oh, I know a better confession. So I understand what you're saying. <laughs> we just got, went to different directions with it. Yeah, totally fine. Pick. Um, I don't necessarily have like, as someone who loves 90s and early 2000s rom-coms, I actually don't have a lot of those on my list because I would watch them a bunch, sure. But my next section that I made was the easily recitable, which these are all, literally all the movies that I've watched so many times that I could probably do word for word. Um, so next on my list was The Parent Trap, which is, and I have talked about a lot, this is hands down the, the Lindsay Lohan version. This is one of those movies that I can watch with my mom And she has no issue sitting with me and watching it. And we will recite the entire thing. And if anyone else in our family complains that it's on, my mom will happily tell them to shut up because we will have to watch it to recite the entire movie. I think I could as well. So maybe we should plan this out. Yeah, that is exactly. And and it has an 86%. So nice. It's the highest rating in my easily recitable. I will say I did um, just just because I felt like it was necessary, I left out dirty dancing and Die Hard from my list because I feel like I've mentioned them so often in other places, but. That's okay. You could have made, you could have made space for them. So what I have done next is I have, I have three categories of movies. So that's where I'm going to go with each category. Every time my turn comes around again. So the first category is actual kids movies. <laughs> uh, that will be a distinct. There will be a distinction in the next two that I will get to. But yeah. in the category of actual kids movies, it's uh, Rookie of the Year, The Sandlot, and Honey I Shrunk the Kids. So, oh, I loved Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Taking, I totally forgot taking the first two 
first, Rookie of the Year in, in the Sandlot, which came out in the same year, which boggles my mind, um, that there were two kids-based baseball movies that happened in the same year. I just love both of those movies. And growing up, again, playing Little League and, and, and uh, playing baseball and going to baseball summer camp, where I just played baseball every day for an entire, for like four or five entire summers in a row. Obviously, it was just a very big part of growing up. Um, growing up in the suburbs of New York City, there's no shortage of baseball stuff everywhere between the Mets and the Yankees, um, mm-hmm. neither of which were very good when I was growing up. So that just added to the fun. <laughs> uh, when the Yankees were good in the late 90s, it was a shock to everybody. And then they went on their little run and did their thing. But growing up, everybody was they were terrible. Mets and Yankees alike, just terrible. Um, my favorite Yankees story, I think I've told the story, is being able to like walk, go, go to the stadium on that morning and buy like amazing tickets for probably three and a half dollars. Yeah, that's because the team was terrible and nobody wanted to go to them and there was no cable TV at the time. So take that for what it's worth. Getting back to these movies, Rookie of the Year and Sandlot, both excellent, both excellent movies. Um, both just really great baseball movies. Rookie of the Year, of course, the kid gets a freak accident and then gets to play for the Cubs, which again was hilarious because the Cubs were also terrible. So it was a way to like incorporate the terrible teams into these funny movies. Same thing with Major League, which isn't on this list, but borrows from the same thing of um, of the Indians just being terrible forever. And it just like it made it a funny thing that they were going to be in this movie and be any good. Um, anyway, these movies are great. I love them. I love them dearly. The other the third one, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, was like a peak Josh movie because you had you had um, crazy animation in the giant ants. You had science. You had just like fun humor all around. You had the awkward boy and girl who live across the street. It was just a peak 80s, peak late 80s movie across the board. I don't like the sequel as much, Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. It was like, how can we take this concept and do it in reverse and try and make it funny? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, though, is just perfect. Um, and that the that riff never stops being funny in commercials, too. Like there's a commercial for something right now where they like duplicate a baseball or something. It's totally based off of this. Um, it just ne- it's just never not funny. Plus, M- Rick Moranis just criminally underrated as a human being, let alone as a comedy actor. So just is just like just a fantastic role. Those are my three actual kids movies that are on this list. That's fair. I had I, totally. F- oh, go ahead. I like that you are grouping them this way. And considering I have so many more that I've been trying to like whittle out. I'm going to be doing this as well in a similar fashion. So thank you so much for the idea. Please continue. Um, It's funny that you said on the air, shrunk the kids because I totally forgot. But that was definitely one of the ones I had on VHS. And I had my own little TV with a VHS player in my room. It was like about this big. And for those listening about the size of my hand. Um, But I loved it. I also loved, you know, 15 years later when Lush came out with a Honey, I Wash the Kids soap, which I just thought was really (laughs) fun. (laughs) Just saying. my next one in the favorite teen movies category is the closest I'm going to get to the Lucian Gersh extended version. Um, it is the category Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movie, which I didn't put like all 20 of them in. I picked like five. Um, but this is just like such a cornerstone of my childhood. Um, the ones I loved were Holiday in the Sun, Our Lips Are Sealed, The Challenge, Billboard Dad, and Winning London. 
While I could have picked others, those were definitely the ones I came back to. They also had a TV show that I can't remember the name of, but it was terrible and amazing. That TV Um, show was fantastic. Yeah. And like, I think I found it on YouTube, like bootlegged like a couple of years ago. And I was, I've never been more excited. Um, But they had such great storylines for shitty movies. Like Billboard Dad is they put up a billboard because their dad's single and they want him to date people. And like, our lips are sealed. They like are in a witness protection program and sent to Australia. It's just... mm quality cinema however rotten tomatoes didn't even think it was worth a reading so wow. none of those had <laughs> i will say holiday in the sun is uh great it is probably my favorite of theirs yeah i, um, I loved it i was trying to look up fun, though i don't honestly don't think i've seen that one it's like their version of survivor like they go on a little like contestant thing but like within a movie they're like characters but then they are on this thing and they have to like i don't know if i'm combining this but i feel like they had to eat bugs or something maybe not anyway (laughs) all was quality this this sounds like you're referring to like the challenge from like mtv or something because that would also that make sense um the tv show at least the one that i remember that they were in was two of a kind um which was them as teenagers yes they were like in high school right yeah yeah totally that's exactly what i'm referring to was terribly great um so which which we will revisit because i have later made a category that's called terribly great um (laughs) however i'm going to continue my easily recitable category and complete it at the same time um which is in addition to the parent trap is sister act never been kissed and mrs doubtfire um sister act i went to catholic school my entire life so i there was it was at some point it was bound to happen uh but it was one of my mom's favorite movies and her and i watch it still all the time uh the second one had terrible ratings which is surprising to me because the second one is pretty freaking good uh the first one has a 74 percent never been kissed is i believe the first pg-13 movie i ever saw um it's I was also like six when I saw it for the first time and probably shouldn't have but I don't care um I watched that thing we had pay-per-view at the time every single time it was on I watched it I was so obsessed with this movie um I know people who have seen it today and hate the concept of it and think that it is such a terrible movie but this is just it did not fall into the terribly great category because it is it's just it's it's great that is it it is not terribly great it's great um and mrs doubtfire i needed to add some sort of robin williams on here because like gersh aladdin was obviously great and i really loved robin williams in that but mrs doubtfire there is just something about his character and his role in it and the way that he just like carries himself in it that is so perfect um yeah yeah that makes me feel like i'm really missing out because i really did like go for animated or like crappy teen movies that was my prompt and you guys were like we know pop culture doing 72 categories see you later well Um, you changed changed your mind (laughs) yeah but like mrs doubtfire was amazing gersh um i am just as surprised to learn that mrs doubtfire came out in 1993 only a year after aladdin but for some reason in my memory it's much later in my growing up anyway i would not have guessed it was six years older than me had you asked um man what a good movie what a good movie mrs doubtfire was um 
It still is. Is. Excuse me. What a good movie it is. Um, R.I.P. Robin Williams. I miss you dearly. Uh, Okay. My next category of movies is superhero movies. And so this entails Batman and Batman Returns from 1989 and 1992. And then the first three Superman movies with Christopher Reeves. It apparently there was a fourth one, which I have definitely never seen. Um, (laughs) Starting with the Batman movies that well, actually, before I get into the individual ones, uh, you know, I grew up just adoring superheroes and I had comic books and action figures and like I would watch anything animated having to do with superheroes and stuff like that like your your He-Mans and your Transformers which is kind of adjacent and there were other cartoons uh other other like cartoons but for these movies which are definitely not kids movies I have watched them more times than I can even think about uh I just loved the first two Batman movies there was um so much like in the second Batman movie, Batman Returns, uh, the Penguin is a big character in this movie. And spoiler alert, the way he dies at the end is... Wait, do you want me to spoil this? I don't want to like... That's too late. Spoiler alert for a movie that's <laughs> almost 30 years old. It's going to be 30 next year. The way the Penguin dies at the end is by choking on his own blood. And so like when I was a kid, this movie came out when I was 11. So when I was a kid around this time, I had nosebleeds all the time. Like that was just little Gersh had nosebleeds all the time. Were you terrified? So like whenever I would have a nosebleed, I'd be like, can't die like the penguin. Like that, honestly, that was in my head every single time. Now, did I think I was going to die? No. But like that was my frame of reference at the time. I'm like, got to be careful about this, guys, because you could choke on your own blood and then you'll be dead like the penguin. That's. So awful, but I all, I think we all have those weird things from childhood sure. that we didn't think really was a thing. I can't remember mine, but that is fantastic and also terrible. I'm so the sorry. first Batman movie from 1989, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, just outstanding. Um, it's just a great movie. Like it, it just, it just created this universe that was so believable because Michael Keaton is just like a great Bruce Wayne. He's just like your regular your quote unquote regular average rich guy he just lives in a big house. There's people trying to kiss his ass every which way from Sunday. Uh, and oh, by the way, he's also Batman. It's just like it's just a great movie. You know, the I have nothing but respect for the Christopher Nolan Batman movies of the 2000 era, but they're just not the same. You know, like there is something. There is something that needed these movies could only have been made with the special effects and budget limitations of the day of the late eighties to early nineties day. Um, the later ones with Val Kilmer and George Clooney and I'm probably forgetting someone else. They're, they're just campy movies, but like, that was a very different thing. It was like, how do we make a movie out of like the, uh, the Adam West cartoons, uh, the Adam West series from the sixties. Um, they're thus campy in that way. These two movies, the two Michael Keaton ones are just fantastic. The Superman movies, great in the same way, because, again, it was just like Superman is a real guy um, who takes the identity of Clark Kent and lives in it's from Kansas and goes to Metropolis and goes to the big city. And that was just like they're just really good movies. Christopher Reeve also R.A.P. just fantastic as both Clark Kent and as Superman. Um, it has just the first Superman movie has just one of the best lines, one of the best sequences out of any superhero movie. And I have seen all of them 
and ranked the MCU movies because that's the kind of nerd that you're dealing with here. But <laughs> it has there is a moment in Superman one, which I would argue has not been eclipsed, maybe equaled, but not been eclipsed by any MCU movies. And those are fantastic. And that's when Lois Lane falls like off of the I think it's from Niagara, I think it's Niagara Falls and Superman flies down to catch her. And he goes, I've got you. And she goes, you've got me. Who's got you? Because they're just like flying through there. It's just like it'll just warm your heart. That's how good it is. Just a great scene. Um, There's really good scenes. There's really good MCU scenes. There's it's hard to beat Lois and Clark, like just as like characters. I was going to say as human beings, but one of them's not human. It's hard to beat the two of them. Um, the other thing that you get out of these 80s movies, well, the first one was in 78, but the other thing you get out of these 80s Superman movies is just Gene Hackman just doing his Gene Hackman-iest. Like, there are actors who have only one speed. Gene Hackman is one of those, except every Gene Hackman is a different Gene Hackman. Like, you know what you're going to get. Like, there is, if you ever watch Welcome to Mooseport with Gene Hackman and Ray Romano, that is the same Gene Hackman that's Lex Luthor in the Spider in the Superman movies. I swear to God, if you watch one and then watch the other, you'd be like, yeah, this is the same guy. Lex Luthor retired. He goes to Mooseport or wherever, whatever state Mooseport's supposed to be in. And he's going to torment Ray Romano because he's Lex Luthor. Like that's it's just chef's kiss. Perfect. That's Gene Hackman. <laughs> like, I know he's retired now. God bless him. I wish him all the best in his retirement. Um, uh, he's just fantastic. And like, those movies you have superman um superman predates captain america so in the comics superman is like the all-american ideal superhero and in the movies he's very much that ideal the patriotism part isn't there but like he is this ideal person that's also very much wrapped in like the mythology of creating a super person um but the, you 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 can't have that without having without having like the complete opposite character on screen with him. And that's Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. Like if you put Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor in the newer Justice League movies instead of Jesse Eisenberg, they would have been a hundred times better. I guarantee it. We could have turned this last few minutes into a drinking game. <laughs> just how many times you've said Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. I mean, I True. can do it some more. Like, can we talk, can we talk about, um, What's the one with Robin Williams? I can't think of the name of that movie. And Nathan Lane. Uh, the Birdcage. Can we talk? Like, again, Birdcage. That's just a softer Lex Luthor, right? Like, he's got, like, his, you know, I'm just saying. It's it's all the same. French Connection, by the way, same. That's like early stage Lex Luthor. He's just really good. <laughs> I keep like thinking that you want me to start talking about my thing. And then you're like, Lex Luthor. And I'm like, I don't know who this is, but I'm listening to you. <laughs> I'm I, that is my superhero category. I am now done. Okay. Um, my next one was like another favorite teen movie, but when Lucy said sister act, I realized my list did not include hairspray, which like hairspray. Okay. I just want to hear your guesses. What do you think Hairspray was on Rotten Tomatoes? Wow. I was very surprised is all I'm going to say. Like good or bad surprised? I can't tell you. So Lucy, you go first because then I can, I, I have some context around this. I guess here's my thing. I loved Hairspray, but I also know it has Zac Efron in it. 
is the information I'll give you. See, but like, that's not how I would picture it. The way that I was expecting a, but it has John Travolta in it. Like, that's the kind of thing that I was expecting. Like, um, I'm expecting like a 60. Okay. Gersh? See, here's the thing. For me, there's only one hairspray and it's the first one. Yeah. So like, I grew up understanding what a John Waters movie meant. It's like what a what a, what's a, like what a Kevin Smith movie is or like what a something else. Like you just understand what you're getting into when you go to watch a John Waters movie. So for me, this movie doesn't exist. What I will say is that I think there are people like me on the Internet who will purposefully give it a more negative score because it doesn't exist or shouldn't exist, maybe in some people's minds. I wouldn't I don't know if I would go that far. So if you're putting a number, are you going lower than Lucy's 60s? Yes, I would say like somewhere in the 40s. Yeah, see, had I not looked it up, I probably would have said 60s. And I I think that that would have been generous. 91%. What? 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Guys, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I loved it. I think I could sing every note of the whole thing. Uh, I've always pictured that my Broadway debut would be Good Morning Baltimore. And I stand behind that. I think I was made for that character. Now, after quarantine, I'm definitely like the size of that character, too. Like, I'm I'm ready for every part of it. Um, Tracy Turnblad is me. Anyway, I did not expect it to be 91%, though. I thought it was going to be like 35%. Um, go ahead. Chris. So John Waters is listed as a consultant on the 2007 version. He was he was in the movie. But um, he has a writing credit because he, obviously he wrote the first one. But it, like, that's fine. Like, I, I don't know if he owns the rights to this to Hairspray, um, which, by the way, exists in the John Waters Baltimore Cinematic Universe, which predates the MCU by like 20 years. So props to John Waters for doing the he did his he did his cinematic universe. Then Kevin Smith has his cinematic universe. All the movies are connected. Then you get to the MCU. Just saying, like, these are things that existed. I don't know if, like, they needed his permission to remake this movie. I that part that part doesn't face me whether they did or didn't. Um, it's just like that. The first one is that movie. Uh, the other moments I can't even think of. But just like the John Waters universe is just so, like, cemented in my brain as stuff that I shouldn't have watched when I watched it. Like so many movies you watch when you're growing up. Um So, yeah, like it's fine that it happened. I'm glad it introduced the movie and like the characters and the songs to new people. Yeah. So I can respect it for that. I I liked the movie. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's pretty much it. I liked the movie. I was surprised that I did, but I did. I think it's a fantastic movie. And I think that they did a really good job casting. Like I think John Travolta is great. Whoever the actor is that plays John Travolta's husband is amazing i don't know why i'm blanking on his name um yeah i can't remember but like, amanda finds is great in good, it too but like i would have thought given that the subject matter is a lot about racial inequality and it's a very disney like cat like the zach efron like the people that they cast like amanda Bynes is in it i think as has- um so, like, I just think that there's some people in that cast that I wouldn't have put with, like, a movie that has a serious, like, an important message to it. But I don't think they did it poorly. So, anyway, that was my, like, add-on. And I do have another one that I'll add, considering you guys have 
categories. I'll add my other one. This is the final, like, if I had to pick my top three teen movies is Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, Because I don't even think I've seen the other one. I know (laughs) there is another one. I will be honest, but no interest. Um, This is one that, like, I don't think is my favorite movie, but the amount of times that I've seen it, that I saw it while I was growing up, very few things I watched more. Uh, and it was 88%, which I felt like is sort of what you would expect. Like Jamie Lee Curtis kicks ass. I think Lindsay Lohan in this movie is good. What's the guy's She's name? Like Chad Michael Murray. He's fantastic in this movie. Michael and there's three letters. Yes. <laughs> He's this movie. That movie was really, really great. And I don't remember if I mentioned it on one of the other podcasts that we were doing. Um, but I looked into it and Jamie Lee Curtis took on this role or the role in freaky friday kind of last minute um and she improvised a lot of what was in there and and it's and like helped i believe it was this one i may have to fact check myself um (laughs) but i remember it saying that she got called in very last minute like two weeks before they started shooting and got asked to do it and um helped with like certain prompts that they were doing that she was like I would do it this way and they adjusted it to her um and it it was she's really really great in that movie it's one of my favorites of hers um yeah it's you know if she was like like they had cast somebody and then they needed to recast yeah I believe that's what happened I can fact check this and circle back uh as Gersh is doing his so that that's fascinating I didn't know that note about the Freaky Friday movies I think that like Part of it is like my whole exposure to music growing up was very much like my mom listened to the pop radio and my dad always had like his rock on or his like, I don't know, seven eighties. I don't know. Green Day was on, but also like regular, just like rock, like the Foo Fighters, you know, like that was my exposure. And so I think that there are certain movies that like did expand what I know and constantly surprises Hamcat when I do recognize the song. I think Freaky Friday is one of those because they had so many songs in it because she was in a band, but they were like real band songs. So mm-hmm. I think that just like expanded my little musical universe too. Yes, I'm going to double check this and, and look up the video, but I believe it was part of a video that she did for, I don't remember what um, publication, but it's the one where they go through, where they have actors go through all of their movies that they oh, were in. Yeah. And totally. in it, she talks about how um she stepped in really last minute because so good the role had opened up i don't remember i'll have to look it up but um my next category uh is terribly great but terribly rated so these are (laughs) four movies that i loved a lot as a teenager um so a walk to remember uh which came out was another one of the movies that came out on pay-per-view and i watched it every single time that it was on tv because I love Shane West, love Mandy Moore, fantastic together. Um, the only Nicholas Sparks movie that I can say I actually really, really love. Um, the Notebook is, is fine. Is, I have nothing against it, but A Walk to Remember is far superior. Um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Actually, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll go through percentages as I do this because they're really bad. A Walk to Remember got a 27%. <laughs> Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead got a 36%. Um, that is a fantastic movie and everything about it from the fashion to the acting to just the entire concept is, is just, it's, I've never seen another movie that's done, that's done something like that where it's 
I don't know. I, I'm going to end up having to go into full detail about the movie and that's, that's for a different time. Um, it is just a fantastic movie. Christina Applegate, right? That's her last name, um, is in that one. And I, her as Sue Ellen is just, I thought her having the nickname swell was really cool. And I wanted that to be mine or like something of that nature because I'm like, I don't have a cool nickname. I want that. But she is great in it. You want that. No, because I don't think it is. I don't think it's suited for me. It was very suited for her character. Um, Thank you. Uh, Then we have D2, the Mighty Ducks, because I've mentioned this before. I love the Mighty Ducks, but the second one I have seen more than any other one. Um, It only had a 20%, which was very surprising to me. Because I knew people didn't like it as much, but that seemed harsh. That's very disappointing. Um, It's extremely disappointing, especially because D2 is where we get introduced to Julie, who is the new or one of the new players on the team who is a female goalie and she kicks ass and she is she has like this amount of sass, but also control when she talks to men who talk down to her. And it's just I love her. I love her so much. And there's a bunch of other characters in it also the movie that i can reference anytime somebody will say um that greenland isn't actually very green and iceland isn't actually covered in ice because that is what they say in this movie um and my last one from this category is the thunderbirds it's actually just called thunderbirds which has a 19 percent <laughs> which is extremely disappointing um the cast in it is actually not terrible bill paxton is in it um ben kingsley is in it vanessa hudgens which she's very young in this movie um anthony edwards is in this who played goose in top gun which i didn't realize until i went back and looked at the photos because he looks so different in this movie um granted it takes place 20 years later i think um and also sophia miles is in it she plays in this movie princess penelope but she also plays um isolde in the movie tristan and isolde which is a great movie as well. And um, I randomly stumbled across Thunderbirds when the Sam Goody in my town or at the mall near me was closing. And I bought a bunch of CDs and one of them was the soundtrack to this movie. And then I went and found the movie and became hooked. I know it is bad. I'm well aware. I don't think it deserves the 19. The audience score is a 36. I think that is what it deserves. Um, It's, it does not deserve anything more than that, but I will watch it repeatedly and not complain because it's great. I actually watched this movie so many times that the DVD I have of it um, now skips at a certain part that I had to buy a second version. So I love that. There we go. I love that. Um, love the Mighty Ducks movies. Those almost made the list. Um, I could have done like we could have done a whole thing about sports movies with kids in them. Um, Mighty Ducks. I love those movies. The almost made the list, but they didn't for other reasons. But I love that, especially the first one. Like, I just I love that movie, too. Um, uh, OK, my final category of movies, surprising nobody, is all of the Star Wars and Star Trek movies. <laughs> now, I will talk to talk about for me, I always grew up loving science fiction. That was certainly my my parents had a great interest in that. And there was never any like there was never any barrier to entry into watching any of these movies. You know, there wasn't much that I wasn't allowed to watch or read or whatever. Um, These were never 
there was never any restrictions on Star Wars or Star Trek content growing up. They were just always they were just always there and always on. And um, I just love them all. The first three, the the first three Star Wars movies were just great. I mean, like I could talk literally for hours about those, about how those affected everybody in that time that had any passing interest in science fiction. And it wasn't even that like they the Star Wars movies specifically less so on Star Trek, but the Star Wars movies, they they like. They exist in a they 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 are they exist outside of science fiction. Like, yes, it takes place in space. There's things that happen that don't happen in quote unquote real life. But they the movies themselves, the stories are not you could tell those stories without the special effects. Um, And like that's obviously very much what George Lucas was going for and all of his inspirations in like Westerns and the Japanese like samurai style movies that he takes inspiration from into making these movies. Um, They're just fantastic. I have watched them more times than I can count there. Whenever there was a trip of any kind, it was like, okay, how many Star Wars movies can we watch between point A and B? Um, That was always that was always the case. So much so. Here's a little fun story for you. Um, When I was in the eighth grade, my school did a class trip to Washington, D.C., I don't think that's unique. I think like that was a lot of if you grew up I on the East Coast. Too. All right. Well, if you grew up anywhere, you did the school trip to D.C. I was going to say if you grew up on the East Coast. Yeah. OK, <laughs> so for me, it was when I was in the eighth grade. And for this trip, here's what I remember about this. We had to get to the middle school at like 5 p.m. because we were leaving that night to like drive down the however long it was going to take. How long did that take? Probably like five or six hours because we were all on giant buses. So we were going to go down that night and then we would have like two or three full days of D.C. stuff. So anyway, we get to the middle school on this night. I don't remember what day of the week it was. We're all like filing in. They brought in while we were waiting because it was like everybody needs to show up by this time, but you can start showing up by this time. Um, while we were waiting and just like snacking on whatever we were eating at the time. There was like one of the rolling TV carts that exists in high schools across the country. And somebody wheeled it in to where we were just like loitering in the cafeteria and we just put on Star Wars. Like so it was just one of those things that would just go on literally at any time. Um, I would say for me growing up, Star Wars was far more popular than Star Trek, which I'll what the why I'll get to in a second. But for me and like whenever I was with friends, it was always Star Wars. It just became like this more omnipresent thing that was everywhere. Now, on the Star Trek side, I have much more complex and uh, and stronger held emotions for that. Um, you know, my parents grew up deeply involved in the in in Star Trek, so much so that it was you know make sure to record every episode so they could watch it later, and so there would just be videotapes of episodes and then crossed out and then more but like it was just a constant cycle recycling of vhs tapes to record the latest episodes of star trek when i was growing up so the next generation came out when i was seven seven eight seven but before that had come out all that existed was the i mean obviously there was the original series and then the original series movies um of which i have seen them all but it was specifically, I would say, probably two, three, and four. Two is the two is the Wrath of Khan. Three is the Search for Spock. Four 
quote, hashtag the one with the whales is probably my favorite movie of one of my favorites of all time. But those movies were just on a loop like those VHS tapes never got recorded over. That's how you knew how important those were in the Gershman household growing up. It was always about those movies. Um, Then when the next generation finally came out in 1987, it was just Star Trek all the time. Um, Then there got to a point there was seven seasons of that show followed by seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, followed by seven seasons of Star Trek Voyager. These didn't all happen in a row. There was a little bit of overlap, but it was like probably probably 18 consecutive years of Star Trek being on television, which was just watched all the time. Uh, I don't think they're all, I don't think all three of those series were on at the same time. In fact, I'm, they couldn't have been all at the same time, but there was a time when the, the two of them were on and they, I th- can't remember if they were ever aired back to back or whatever, but it was just all Star Trek all the time. Uh, the first two movies of the next generation era generations and then first contact, um, are just, they, they're just really great Star Trek movies. The first one is intended like it starts in the it's, it starts in the original series era with Kirk and McCoy and Scotty, um, not Spock. Leonard Nimoy had he died by that time? I wonder. Anyway, it starts there, and then there's like a thing that happens, and then you fast forward into the future, and then it picks up in the next generation era, and so like. The movie's name of the title is Generations because it spans generations of the original series and into next. It's a whole. It's a great movie. Um, First Contact, however, uh, is just great. Like it tells a story that they had never told before. The whole thing with um, with humanity's first contact with another alien species and like the development of warp drive and this whole thing. It's a really. It's just a great story that in the Star Trek canon they had never explored before. Uh, they do it in, and they just really do it in an amazing way. And it was a way to it was a way to also go into the past, which Star Trek had also doesn't do like in the Star Trek shows once or twice a year. There's always a thing where like there's something breaks and they get zapped into the past. But it's ne- it's like, you know, for one episode and for 40 minutes, they're in the past. And they got to figure out how to get back to the back back to the future. No pun intended. But in first contact, they have to go into the past to um to like fix this thing uh like it's one of those like uh butterfly effect things they have to fix a thing to make sure that it happens so that it doesn't not happen it's you it's a whole thing you got to watch the movie but what it does is it brings it brings like this very dirty era of star trek that had never been talked about before of like how terrible humanity was in the late 21st century which we're like clearly steering towards right now so but it's like how terrible we were as humans how terrible we treated the planet with like how terrible wars and the economy was. And then it takes like these people from 400 years in the future with their, they don't have money. They have, they can do whatever they want. There's like medical advancements beyond what you can possibly imagine. They can synthesize food like at the drop of a hat. And then put all these people into this past where they have to like live and stay and fix this problem or to make sure that this thing happens the way it's supposed to happen. It's just like, Ah, it's just a really great movie. Um, and like it, it just, it's just, it's just so good. It's just so good. It's just really good. Uh, and these came out when I was, that came out when I was 15. So like from the watching Star Trek from when I, like as long as I can remember up to that point, just an embarrassment of riches. I mean, I could go on 
and I have about current Star Trek. But like this for me is just also this was also only something I did at home. Like I never I never I didn't have any friends who liked Star Trek because from growing up in order to like Star Trek, you parents had to like Star Trek, whereas Star Wars Star Wars was just everywhere already. Like even <clears throat> even in the late 80s to early 90s, well before well before the prequel trilogy came out in 1998 or 99, well before that happened, Star Wars was still everywhere. Toys and video games to some extent, but like it was just everywhere. So people knew of Star Wars. Nobody knew Star Trek unless your parents knew Star Trek. And I didn't have any friends whose parents were Star Trek fans. So that was always just like that was always me. That was always something for me and my parents. That's fair. I I was actually talking about Star Wars yesterday with someone and the third movie, um, I saw it in theaters with my dad and my brother. And it was one of the few movies that I saw with with them because like that never that didn't really happen in my family. If I went to the movies, it was, it was mm-hmm. with like friends that Star Wars was one of those things that like my family, like my mom didn't really watch it. But my dad did. So it was one of like those like the other thing, the other thing that happened with the star Wars movies is that George Lucas continued to re-release special versions of those movies. And so in the 77 to 83, that was when the first movies came out and then they all got released on VHS. And then in the, I can't, I think it's probably the early nineties. There was like the first round of George Lucas re edits where he just like added more stuff in. And then he did it again in the late nineties. Uh, and basically you just kept adding more special effects, you know, for George yeah. Lucas, it was like, Hey, there's new stuff I can do with animation. Let's add it into these movies I already made. And so that was, that was another reason why star Wars continued to just stay everywhere because the movies they were also, always coming back out. They also redid it again after the third one came out. So that at the end of the sixth movie where it had the holograms, they added in Hayden Christensen. That's Right. Because they because he wasn't in the original one, they had a different character there. Yeah, they replaced the actor who plays Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, it's not James Earl Jones, but the the actor in the suit. I know, is you're shocked. The actor in the suit okay. is who they show as a Force ghost at the end, and they yes, I totally forgot about that. They then replaced him with Hayden Christensen, who plays Anakin, of course, um, in the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Also, in the middle of this, I double checked my fact about Jamie Lee Curtis. I was correct. It was in that interview that she does, although I already forgot which interview it was. But whatever. Oh, it was Vanity Fair. Um, In it, she says that the actress who originally was supposed to have her character in Freaky Friday pulled out of the movie and Disney asked her if she would be in it. She was given the script on Friday and she started shooting on Monday. Wow. So that is how quick she jumped into it. That was quite a Freaky Friday for her. I'll say. True. Um, and also when she had started, she had improvised a couple things herself. They're like, um, there's one scene where her fiance is like pushing her. And so she had put baby powder on the bottom of her shoe. So she would slide a little bit better. And she had been like adding in like these sort of ideas and an editor or somebody essentially like told the director, they think that she should tone it down. And she had a conversation with them and she was like, I mean, I, I could, but then I'm not, I'm not going to stay. Like if I'm going to stay, I'm going to do it the way that I think it needs to be done in order for me to be at my best. And they eventually were like, sure, go ahead. And she said that it was like the freest that she's ever felt while doing a movie. I love that. Interesting And very cool. That's your fun fact. That's it for my movies. I have one honorable mention, um, which is E.T., 
which oh yeah, which is a movie that scared me a whole lot when I was a kid because there are some scary parts of that. But the like the, the thing that I always remembered uh, about that movie was Reese's Pieces. Like yeah. as a kid, you don't have the context of like capitalistic product placement in a movie. For me, it was like, hey, this is the movie that has candy in it. That's funny. Yep. That's so funny. Yeah, you talk about E.T. as like your scary movie. Still can't go back to Nemo. That scared oh, the shit sure. out of me as like a five-year-old, and I've never been able to revisit it. Um, I have a list of honorable mentions. Lucy, how much do you have left too? I can I can use this as as that. It's another category. It's not listed as honorable mentions, okay. but it works. All right, I'll do mine and then um you can do yours. I have added three since we started this episode because it kept reminding me of things um however i'll start with my honorable mention which is also my lowest rating ever and totally deserves it um pride wars which is kate hudson so good anne hathaway yeah it's quality crap um 11 percent that's so disappointing (laughs) honestly i don't think it deserves any more than that but it's just so funny. Gersh, I'm guessing you haven't seen it. Is I have correct? not seen it. I would, okay. will add it to the list because okay. honestly, I feel like it's one that you should watch. I did watch Gersh watch it. Okay. Also, as this also depends on your view of Chris Pratt, um, but he's in it. I totally did not connect those dots because I don't think I really knew Chris Pratt as an actor when I watched that. I think it was like one of the first ones he did because he's also... Like, is he one of the fiancés? Thr- yes, he's Anne Hathaway's. Throughout the oh, years, yeah. he started to get a lot more fit, especially when he was uh, transitioning from Parks and Rec over to like yes. Jurassic World and things like that and Guardians of the Galaxy. And in Pride Wars, he is a, not like not necessarily on the heavier side, but he's not fit at all. But like that's how you know it's like earlier. Ouchy, like kind yeah, of he's whatever. meant to look kind of frumpy yeah. in some situations. But so uh, Gersh, yeah. the the ten second summary of Bride Wars is that Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway are best friends, and one gets engaged, and then the other gets engaged, and then they both decide that they're going to get married, and they both want the same location, and there's two spots, but only at the same time. So they, that like, is not true. Well, there, the way the way that it happens is there are three spots and they choose two different dates and the venue messes it up and yeah, they end up putting true. them for the same exact date but at the also, same time. There's all this complexity of like why one of them won't give it up, but the other mm. could, but the other doesn't care. And the other. So it's this whole thing. It's shitty, but great. Um, this relates to my next pick for my honorable mentions, which is 27 dresses, which has I have seen 27 dresses. So great. I think I've seen it a million times. It's one of the ones that was in the library rotation for me. Um, it's also why I loved watching Grey's Anatomy because of Catherine Heigl. Also, she was Izzy, like beyond the name thing. I loved her in 27 dresses. Um, another one for me was Princess Diaries, which Lucy and I have been talking about for the last like couple weeks. Um, and I started to buy DVDs at every thrift store that I go to, and it's just been like this great 2000s catch-up. Um Another one that came up when I was looking at all these lists and I totally forgot about and I think is sort of slighted by Rotten Tomatoes is Cheaper by the Dozen because Steve Martin is fantastic in this. I think he deserves better than a 24%. That's that's what I have to Steve, say. Steve Martin deserves better than he, he Steve Martin just deserves better. He's a fantastic, yeah. just like all time classic comedic actor. Uh, I have seen Cheaper by the Dozen as well. Um, just great. 
I don't know why I just had a panic moment where I was like, oh my God, is it actually Dennis Quaid? Like, did I fuck this up? Because I think Dennis <laughs> not only is in Parent Trap, but I think he's in something else. And I was like, oh God. But um, anyway. He is in fact in something else. What is, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, okay, I have three more. And these three just came up in the last like two minutes. Ben didn't like Beckham. Sure. Which I totally forgot about 85% of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that I believe. I think it's, it, it's a great movie. It deserves it, but I just like wouldn't have been like if you had to pick whatever, I wouldn't have picked it. This deserves 112% in my opinion, my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, oh 100%. Yes. It, Round of applause. 76%. That's you criminally that's low. Fair. That's no, not it that's is not. not. Thank you. Um finally, just right, right where I think it deserves to be. Devil wears Prada. 75% and Lucy you don't have to go into it because it's publicity but I thought it was a good honorable mention and I agree to you <laughs> it is a fantastic movie um I kept renaming this category but we'll use this as the honorable mentions um so Princess Diaries wasn't it but I purposely took it out because I knew you were going to talk about it um <laughs> so I have 16 candles because yep. just a classic I that's love right. always will love and also as an honorable mention, it had an 84%. So Dang. good for you because it's fantastic John Hughes content. Um, I also, of course, had to throw in Bring It On because great movie, 63%. Um, a Cinderella Story because this I list was, was just about to ask you if you put that on. I was like, did she, there, she think it's too shitty? No, no, no. A Cinderella Story is fantastic. It is one of Hilary Duff's best movies. Uh, Raise Your Voice is also pretty great, but I think A Cinderella Story beats it. Um, and by I think, I mean I know it beats it, which is why I saw it on this list. Um, a Cinderella Story, however, got a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. It deserves at least high teens. I'm not the the audience like score was a 53, and it definitely deserves the audience score just based off of the locker room monologue alone. Like, just give yeah, me that's true. that that monologue alone deserves a 53% for this movie. Like, Chad Michael Murray, which he was good in it. And then what's that lady that has had so much fun? Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, she's in it, which, like, deserves. Why didn't I put Legally Blonde on this? There's There are... There are so many people on this yeah, in this Cinderella movie. Story was good. Is that a, yeah, it's it's just disappointing it that they rated this low. Um, and my last one is a guilty pleasure of mine that I will watch no matter what part of the movie it is in or what time of day it is on. If I see it, I will watch it, which is Twister. Um, it's just it is clearly I like Bill Paxton, but Twister is just fantastic. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because as a kid, I loved watching things on the Weather Channel about um, hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that and like storm chasers. I don't really know, but it's just, it's quality content, 59%. I'll, I'll give it that. There's one scene that I will always hate from that movie and it's when one guy gets cut across the head because something comes flying at him and I will always fucking hate it. Um, but otherwise, great movie. That's amazing. What did you think I was going to have? Uh, I couldn't remember if you'd said I pegans. Um, never been kissed. I thought you. Oh, I read it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I figured if you were going to be like, if I could watch in any season, any like any. Oh no! Like we already know my my normal top three, like Dirty Dancing, Die Hard, and Home Alone would have been on this list, but I purposely left those out because I felt like I should just That's focus fair. on the other movies that I also watched, which are a yeah. lot of them. 
That's fair. And I've like really enjoyed just to wrap this up because I feel like this has been a good like little peek into our childhoods that that we've obviously already talked about, but just like a fun, like, how did we each get into movies? And like, what was our parents? And what was my mom only showing me The Bachelorette? You know, like all of those serious implications (laughs) in like fun childhood movies. And now I can just make you guys watch Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I feel like I've gotten a lot out of this. I hope you have too. That's kind of all I've got, but I'm so glad we did this. That was really fun. I also think I won in the animation category for Rotten Tomatoes, which is exciting because I have no, nothing to stand (laughs) on in pop culture. Well, you've won our Golden Globes one. So, you know, you have something. That's right. Yeah. Hamcat is not going to be pleased if I also win the Oscars. Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. Next weekend is the Oscars. And then following that, obviously, we'll do our Oscar recap the following week. But can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, this has been super fun. Uh, There's a Pekins appearing on the podcast. Hi, Pekins. Are you going to sneeze into the mics to say hello? Uh, This has been great for me. One um, is you did a fantastic job. I'm happy for you and Lucy to run the podcast whenever you want. Um, Josh, my, my co-Josh is recovering from the the vaccine this weekend. So he took a much deserved, uh, weekend off. Pekins is in front of the microphone. I don't know if she has any comments about movies that she's seen, but if she does. We're perfect. There you go. Perfect. Um, this has been a lot of fun. The, yeah, I don't really have much else to say. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime and let you, uh, and let you run the show happy to run the show all right while you are cat occupied i will sign us off um for all josh's josh in name and in um uh honor in, in name and honorific uh thank you for listening see you next time if you have enjoyed today's episode please leave us a nice rating or review on apple podcasts and or follow on spotify google podcasts iHeartRadio, or wherever you happen to listen those things would really help us out Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at JoshCastPod and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash untitled JoshCast. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, and it is produced by Isabella Stade and Lucy Benetti. The podcast intro music is Gemini by Alki, and the outro music is Cautious by Emma Rosa. Both appear on the Untitled JoshCast with permission from the artists. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Untitled JoshCast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.